Hi there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time once again for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, I'm sort of continuing my, I don't know what you'd call it, like a crusade against vapidity. <laughs> so I'm going to probably hit you with more and more kind of ideas about habitats, re- rehashing some of the older themes that we've had here at Tannin um, to sort of inspire you to push yourself a little more beyond the superficial, beyond the comical stuff that we see so often on social media and actually kind of enjoy the hobby in a different way. And one of the more remarkable things that we see uh, with the botanical method aquarium approach is that it offers us a really unique insight into the operation of many wild aquatic habitats. These habitats are tremendously influenced by their surrounding terrestrial environment. We've talked about this a lot. It's a fundamental component of what we do here. It's going to be a continuing huge part of what we talk about in coming months and It'll affect our offerings, our philosophies, and a lot of things you'll see from us in the future. The very soils which make up the substrate and the fallen tree trunks, leaves, and seed pods present in the water sort of cement that relationship between land and water. The operating system of a botanical method aquarium, as we've discussed many times before, is literally driven by the presence of these materials. Excuse me. A few days ago, I was doing a small water exchange in one of my personal botanical method aquariums, and I reached to move a, a seed pot away from the siphon hose so that it wouldn't block it, and it promptly disintegrated in my fingers. Well, it was another botanical that did its job. It gradually released some tannins, humic substances, and other compounds into the water over the months, and finally was decomposing back into its likely near-alert constituent parts. This is the essence of what we've called habitat enrichment over the years, the imparting of beneficial substances and materials into the overall aquatic environment via botanicals. Of course, as we've reiterated here before, we can't say exactly what they're imparting and how much, but they're putting something into the water. We can conclude via observation that they are contributing something to the aquatic environment. This submerged botanical, like many others in the tank, contributed greatly to the microbiome of the systems. Fishes foraged upon its surfaces, shrimp that I had in there consumed its lignin-rich tissues, fungal growths, biofilms, and microorganisms flourished on its matrix of interstitial surfaces. It was the end of this botanical's service life was symbolic in a way of what takes place in our aquariums. Fungi, bacteria, algae, indeed the water itself all conspire to erode, degrade, and ultimately decompose these materials. A real cycle of life, if you will. As I continued with my weekly maintenance, I siphoned out a few stray pieces of broken down leaves and added some new ones. And I thought about this. Adding new botanicals serves the multifold purpose of resupplying the organisms at the base of the microbiome with a new food source, keeping the water visually tinted, the physical environment consistent, and the look and the vibe of the tank fresh. So it's sort of similar to what goes on in nature when old leaves break down and new ones fall into the bodies of water to take their place. New leaves and botanical materials are sort of a biological or chemical shot in the arm for our aquariums. Some of the most amazing comments we receive about our aquariums after sharing underwater pics, uh, actually, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. <clears throat> we share a lot of pictures of the wild habitats of Amazonia and elsewhere. Hobbyists like our friend Ty Streitman and um, others share really interesting photos from surrounding areas. And we are pleased to share them with you for inspiration. But what's really cool is 
we get these crazy comments that think some of these pictures were from someone's aquarium. In a few instances, some of the close-ups of botanical-themed aquaria are actually virtually indistinguishable from wild scenes. Now, this is a real, it's an interesting phenomenon, and it's a real turning point in the history of natural aquarium keeping, in my opinion. One in which the function of the aquariums we're creating trumps the aesthetics. I mean, people are looking at wild photos thinking that these are aquariums because we're kind of used to the way they look already, and we're thinking about they look that way because of the function. Perhaps better put, the function and the natural processes drive the aesthetics, and it's an incredible replication of what you'd encounter in nature because it embraces the natural process. By facilitating these natural processes within the aquarium, not resisting them, we fostered an entirely new approach to creating truly natural aquariums in the hobby. We should all pat ourselves on the back for that. That's something we've been doing for about seven years here, and many of you have been playing with these things more than longer than that. <clears throat> and it's fun to see it finally getting some some real appreciation from aquarists of all types. It's blurring the lines between nature of the aquarium, at the very least from an aesthetic sense, and in many senses from a, in many aspects from a functional sense. It just proves how far today's hobbyists have come, how damn good you are at what you do, and how much more you can do when you turn to nature as an inspiration and embrace it for what it is. When you go beyond simple aesthetics and trends and fads and actually embrace nature and its natural processes, not just give it lip service. Now, many of our most incredible natural aquariums are replications of what I like to call opportunistic habitats or habitats which arise in nature because some specific events or occurrences like seasonal inundation, sediment accumulation, and fallen trees. Yeah, trees. It's not uncommon for a tree to fall in the rainforest with all that punishing rain and saturated ground kind of conspiring to easily knock over anything that's not super firmly rooted. When these trees fall over, they often fall into small streams, or in the case of the Varzea or Agapo environments in the Amazon, the ones you know I'm obsessed with, they fall and are submerged in the inundated forest floor when the, when the waters return. And of course, they immediately impact their now aquatic environment, fulfilling several functions. They provide a physical barrier or separation from currents, offering territories for fishes to spawn in. They provide a substrate for fungi and biofilms to multiply on, a space for leaves to accumulate, and places for fishes to forage among and hide in. An entire community of aquatic life forms uses the fallen tree for many purposes, and the tree trunks and other parts will last for many years, fulfilling this important role in the aquatic ecosystems they now reside in each time the waters return. That's an incredible dynamic when you really think about it. Let's just focus on this ecological component for just a bit. Let's review what happens when a tree falls, literally when it falls. So shortly after falling in the water, fungi and other microorganisms act to colonize the surfaces and biofilms populate the bark and exposed surfaces of the tree. Over the time, uh, over a period of time, the tree will impart, you know, many chemical substances, lignans, humic acids, tannins, sugars, etc., into the water as the bark breaks down and the tree itself softens. In aquatic ecosystems, much of the initial breakdown of botanical materials is conducted by detritivores, specifically fishes, aquatic insects, and invertebrates, which serve to begin the process of feeding upon the tissues of the seed pod or leaf, while other species utilize the waste products which are produced during this process for their nutrition. In these habitats, such as streams and flooded forests, a variety of species work in tandem with each other, with various organisms carrying out different stages of the decomposition process. The fallen tree, think about this, the fallen tree literally brings new life to the waters. I can't stress enough how interesting and important this transformation 
of the terrestrial environment to the aquatic one is. It helps explain so much of why these aquatic habitats look and function the way they do and how they impact the life forms which make use of them. The materials that comprise the tree are known in ecology as allochthonous material, something imported into an ecosystem from outside of it. Extra points if you can pronounce that again on the first try. We've talked about that stuff for a while now, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And of course, in the case of fallen trees, this includes leaves, fruits, and seed pods that fall or are washed into the water along with the branches and trunks that topple into the stream. And all of this can be replicated to a certain extent in the confines of an aquarium. You just need some larger pieces of wood or branches. Now, there are many aquarists who'd make the case that you can't make big gnarly pieces of wood work in the aquarium because of their impact on ratio and proportion and all that stuff, and, you know, the artistic part. And to these types, I gently admonish you to check out the works of some talented aquarists like our friend Mitch Mazur, who's made that now famous mental shift to work with nature in an artistic interpretation using big ass pieces of wood. These uh, the pleas to you and these look what you look what he did sort of arguments are almost a prerequisite of late when I talk about any idea that has an aesthetic component to it because unfortunately the self-appointed guardians of aquascaping style seem to come out of the woodwork, no pun intended, after these discussions, you know, reciting dozens of well-rehearsed reasons why the concept won't work rather than even trying to do something similar. It's weird. That, of course, is something I call bullshit on and will continue to do. Yeah, a big piece of wood or dense aggregation of smaller pieces in an aquarium does create some challenges, but most of them are in our head. I mean, hell, Takashi Amano himself did a few amazing tanks with a huge, you know, huge-ass pieces of wood years ago. Remember those? Look for them. They're out there. And, of course, when we utilize large pieces of wood relative to the aquarium's water volume, they do have chemical and physical impact on the aquatic environment that is, hey, sort of similar to what occurs in nature, right? Yeah, function and aesthetics are linked in nature and in the aquarium. That's a big takeaway. And look, I'm not telling you to turn your back on the modern popular aquascaping scene to disregard or dismiss all this brilliant work being done by aquascapers around the world and shared. It's inspiring or to completely eschew aesthetics or to develop a sense of you know, superiority and snobbery. That's not the point here. Don't conclude that everybody that loves this kind of stuff is a sheep. No, 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 no. Not, that's not where we're going. I'm simply the guy who's passing along that gentle reminder from nature that we have this amazing source of inspiration that literally works. It may look weird based on what we see in aquarium work, but it works. Rejoice in the fact that nature offers this endless variety of you know, beauty, abundance, and challenge, and that it's all there, free for us to interpret as we like. It's not all perfect rule of thirds or flawless layouts and stuff like that. Lots of places in nature, beautiful though they may be, are a bit, I don't know, rougher around the edges than some Aquarius seem to want to accept. Not all of you, but some of you. And the rest of us, we see the beauty and the apparent chaos and randomness. We just happen to like things more, well, a bit more natural than others. Today's simple thought. Stay creative, stay thoughtful, stay intrigued, stay studious, and stay open-minded. Blur the lines. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.